You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hey, Bob. How you doing? What you got there? I'm doing okay. Fat and happy edition. Oh, this is the conventional wisdom watch from back in old Newsweek days. Is that something Correct. you did back when you were, I don't want to say a this, young man, because you're still kind of a young man. Thank you, Bob. But, but the, um, uh, this is a this is a feature in Newsweek that John Alter and I came up with. And the prince the premise of it was the conventional wisdom is uh in the press is sort of goes in cycles and the cycles are sort of uh they're self-generating in that uh you know the press gets sick of saying you know Carter is focusing too much on Iran and then so that a bunch of people will write up and saying you know he's not focusing he's he's focused you know he's focusing too much on Iran and then in two weeks they'll say no he's not focusing on Iran enough uh and it's sort of it's it's sort of free of press bias okay it, it, it's uh -huh. sort of an internally reporters get sick of writing the same thing over and over again. They want to say something new. So the cycle moves to saying the opposite of what the previous cycle said. And yeah, that ha that was, that worked in Newsweek in the nineties. And it sort of worked up until Trump when the press shifted to monomaniacally trashing Trump, trashing Trump, trashing Trump, trashing Trump, and never changing. Uh, and the big question is, has that, has it now sh shifted back into the old mode? And there's a test of it right now that uh, Mark Halpin has pointed out, but it's obvious, which is the press all of a sudden started trashing DeSantis. He's failing. He's he's failing to launch. He's stumbling. Yeah. You know, even even ordinary things like his his jibe at Trump for for paying off a porn star. This was considered considered clumsy and awful, even though it was. It was, was passive-aggressive. He, di he didn't... Anyway, we, we had this argument. Okay, okay you're anyway. right. No, the... the uh, and can I just pause and say, that not to say that I'm more ahead of the curve than you, but I think I've been consistently ahead of the curve on the DeSantis' floundering thing. But go ahead, right. continue. But the question is, now will it change back to DeSantis uh, on the rebound? And there's some mm -hmm. signs that, you know, DeSantis had some a little bit of good news, in, in, you know, in terms of his... What was reception that? at events and some polls were gave vague vague hopes. What and people are starting to write that column. What people, people showed up. Write... What 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 happened at the events? Well, Did... I just I just uh, on my people on my clapped. phone I just got the status gets warm reception. I don't know where he got warm reception. Uh, yeah, he, I feel uh, the momentum. I feel the momentum. Okay, okay. Well, Henry Olson and various people have tried to write this DeSantis comeback column. It hasn't been very convincing. But there will be probably more straws to build this house from. And uh, will will it happen or will the press relentlessly focus on promoting Trump over DeSantis? Keep in mind, promoting Trump over DeSantis is a reflection of liberal bias because the Democrats want Trump to be the nominee so they can beat him. I mean, they're actually, you know, they have they have they've tried be that careful. trick before. Uh, right. I think your friend, your LinkedIn friend, Reed Hoffman, is tr has tried that trick before. And uh, it um, so so promoting Trump at this stage in the nomination fight is what the if, if the press were monolithically Democratic and pursuing a Democratic agenda, they would do. And they will not give DeSantis breathing room for a comeback. I predict that that will prevail. I, I don't think I think we're still operating under Trump rules and the press will do anything to stop Trump. And the press is now now sort of. Uh, forthrightly democratic. They'll do anything to stop the Republicans in Congress. So uh, well, I think. Well, go ahead. No. So, so this is the test. Will there be a DeSantis comeback? Are we operating under the old conventional wisdom cycle rules, or or are we operating on the Trump? I, I I think you should consider the possibility that this isn't entirely a creation of the media to begin with, and he's actually a bad candidate. Um, and I don't know myself, I don't pay attention to these things, but I was listening to the, uh, highly regarded DMZ podcast this week with Bill Sherrod and Matt Lewis. And well, by Bill the Sherr way, says uh, Bill Sherr says the Senate shouldn't even run, which reminds me of the latest instance of my ahead of the curve -ism. last week. I told you Bill had made this argument. You hadn't even heard it. Not surprisingly, since he hadn't even written it up, that's how ahead of the curve I am. He writes it up. Then Ross Douthat writes a column citing bill and then this becomes like a whole thing and of course the people could have heard it here first 
or even earlier on the DMZ podcast. But I digress. Here's what I want to say. Matt Lewis this week is saying, look, DeSantis is a bad candidate. He looks scared. You know, what he said was, look, his whole image was, I'm tough. I'll confront anybody. I'll take the bull by the horns. And he's afraid to confront Trump, or at least he gives that impression, which gets us back to the thing where, you know, on the porn star thing, the whole problem with that, I think now, according to the conventional wisdom, was that, you know, he kind of said under his breath, of course, I don't have any experience with porn stars uh, instead of. uh, But I will say this, this indictment is unwarranted, whereas the, the tough thing to do as far as confronting Trump would have been to say, you know, this indictment's definitely not warranted. It's bullshit. But let's face it. We do not need a president who's who's making secret payoffs to porn stars. And he should have gone on that riff. That is the difference. Now, you you believe I don't think that's this a huge difference. In, that, in another context, I know, you said this considered already. a witty, self-deprecating remark that nevertheless was a, was a, 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 a swipe at Trump. Well, first of all, Mickey, he's not getting great traction in the polls among Republicans. And those Republicans aren't even listening to the media you're talking about, okay? They're cocooned in their own whatever, Fox News, whatever. So I, I think that you gotta well, Trump got to face the fact. Trump not, got a boost from the indictment. He's, he's attacked DeSantis. DeSantis hasn't responded, and Trump has gained in the polls, okay? Exactly. That's, DeSantis that has hasn't happened. responded. That has happened, right. but you know the polls still show that DeSantis beats Biden and Trump does not. So that's a powerful argument. Let's let the campaign happen. Let, let's let DeSantis declare. He's probably going to move it up. He's going to go on the attack. Let's see if he's a wimp. I don't think he's a wimp. I, th- I, I think, think he's basically a, a baseball coach. That's my you know, attitude the, toward him. And you don't give other, up in the fourth inning, which is what this is even, isn't even the second inning. practice. The other thing that occurred to me while listening to the high, highly regarded DMZ podcast today was uh, they talked about Chris Christie. and. Seems to be like maybe your dream scenario should be, you know, Christie's making noises about getting in and he went to New Hampshire and I guess did well or something. And, you know, he he is a street fighter, potentially, you know, in a way that DeSantis doesn't really seem uh, as uh, as skillful at in a kind of spontaneous, fluid way, at least. Um, and it seems to me what you should want is. Chris Christie weighs in, focuses on Trump, brings brings Trump's numbers down, but his don't rise high enough to become the uh, the contender. And here comes Glenn Youngkin, right, uh, to to be the actual Trump slayer. Shouldn't you want that? Because he's actually for you a very attractive candidate in the general, right? Well, not you know, not necessarily. I mean, he's okay, but DeSantis has a very strong position on issue number one which is immigration to me. And, uh, I, you know, Youngkin is not as strong. And DeSantis, mm. DeSantis is at 28% in the polls. That's pretty good. You know, that's within striking distance. If, if, this was, if this was Lyndon Johnson versus somebody else, we would say Johnson's in trouble. I mean, it's just not, you cannot, you, you don't discount what DeSantis has accomplished. Plus, um, uh, Christie well, isn't going to just the, attack. Johnson, Christie, yeah. go ahead. Well, Johnson was an incumbent who had who had never been impeached, among other things. But go ahead. But Christie's uh, not going to just attack Trump. Christie has a, Christie has a giant ego. He needs bariatric surgery on his ego. He gives a speech endorsing Romney at the convention. Barely mentions Romney. It's all about Chris Christie. Chris Christie thinks he can be president. He's going to attack Trump, and as he has already done, attack the Santas also. So he is not well, they br- in, yeah. in any way. That's an uh, issue. He is not DeSantis's, uh, you know, That's what paves the way for Yunkin. That's what paves the way for Yunkin. Okay, why, look, why anyway. Why didn't they attack Trump and, and leave DeSantis alone and pave the way for DeSantis? I don't understand. Uh, I don't know. But on the Democratic side, I would say I agree with the polls that, uh, well, no, I don't agree with the polls. I think Biden could lose to Trump readily. And, of course. Uh, of course. And so I just want to say, as I'm going to do on a weekly basis for months now, Ro Khanna for president. Ro Khanna's the man. Hey, what? 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 He's, he'd kill Trump. He'd kill, he'd kill Trump. He'd kill Trump. You don't think I'm so? I'm not so sure. He's incredibly weak uh, on immigration. He's A pro- randomly selected American under the age of 80 would have a good shot against Trump. 
Rokana is we extremely have chaos at the borders, smart. and Rokana is not going to solve the chaos at the borders, and Trump will hammer him over the head with that. Look, uh, at the risk of sounding quaint, I want to say that uh, Rokana would also be, by my lights, uh, a very good president. And uh, leaving aside uh, the candidacy, then actually, far be it for me to suggest that we should choose uh, presidents on the basis of how good they'd be at being president, but you're going to do that. You could do worse than Rokana. It's weird. a lot I, better than Biden. I used to be a, I used to be a character voter, which is what you say, which is pick the person who's going to endorse the issues that we don't even know about that are coming down the road, who's going to react to them well. Uh, well character it, and competence. And right. Judgment. Okay. But right. But I, I've now become a, a, a two issue voter and I care about issues more than I care about character. Although what's that? You know, immigration that and change. child tax credit. What, what, what's the other one besides immigration? Child tax credit. <laughs> you, 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 good guess, Bob. Uh, but I think Rokan is bad on that, and DeSantis is very good, at least on immigration. And he, you know, he, um, he, there, there, there was another poll which, which, uh, I think you will reflects your argument about Biden. Bob Robert Kennedy Jr. is at fourteen percent in New Hampshire. Biden's at like twenty eight percent. Okay. That's hilarious. That's pathetic. The guy just just enters the race and he's already halfway well, to beating Biden. And he's a nobody. I mean, he's fairness, a nut. He's a crank. Well, his name is Robert Kennedy and he is Robert Kennedy's son. So that's not nothing in the Democratic Party. Now, true, he's an anti-vaxxer and so on. But it, it, uh, he's being treated by the press as a nut. Biden is the sitting president. He gets 28 percent in New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders gets 17 That is a bad poll number for Biden. Biden is not a That's what I'm candidate. saying. He's right for the picking. Yeah. I have okay. not ruled out running myself. He's I'm agreeing. Everybody's running. Somebody else. Oh, uh, Larry Elder is going to run. Wait, remind so me Larry, who Larry Elder is. Larry Elder is a black conservative commentator in Los Angeles. Very smart. Ran for, I think, governor in a recall election and, and didn't do that well. Didn't do that badly, but he didn't win. Uh, so, uh, you know, Losing governorship of California is the stepping stone to the presidency, as Richard Nixon showed. So he's uh -huh. following Nixon's footsteps. I like I like him, but he's not going to be president. Well, anyway, they, I, I, I'm just like wondering, I mean, not to say that the child tax credit is anything short of an existential issue for the entire planet. But does like foreign policy figure into your that that's like. Child tax credit is just clearly ahead of like whether the person will blow up the world. No, if somebody was a gung ho neocon who wanted to start Iraq War Two, uh, sure, of course. What if plus, uh, plus you know, would... I mean, AI is going to destroy the world. So, so you know, it doesn't really matter much whether we have a child tax credit or not when the world is destroyed. Glad you mentioned that. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be no one to save with the world at its grave. Glad you mentioned that. It leads me to this uh, piece that I just published in the Non-Zero Newsletter only hours ago. Um, AI uh, is is a threat. I mean, even if you don't even if you don't buy the sci-fi scenarios, the Matrix, and so on, um, just the capacity for it being weaponized by lone actors uh, demands that we get serious about thinking how it's going to be governed, and that has to be an international conversation. And ultimately, uh, some of the governance has to be international. In fact, this week alone, listen to this trio. Sundar Pichai, head of Google, says on 60 Minutes, we are going to need international treaties governing AI. That's not so surprising. But uh, the Financial Times, actually, you emailed this to me. It ran a piece by this uh, tech investor. And anyway, the main thing is the Financial Times ran it. And it is saying we need some kind of uh, global governance. Uh, and also the Economist, which is also not known for supporting whole new global regulatory schemes, ran a piece saying that we need something that you might compare to the uh, International Atomic Agency, uh, Energy Agency. So, and what I said in this piece is they're all right. They're all correct. This has to be regulated at the international level, but this cannot be done so long as we are diving 
ever more deeply into a Cold War with China. Biden is enthusiastically exacerbating that problem. Trump would too. Trump, Trump started it. Uh, Biden, Biden has not backed off at all. Biden is, if, if anything, uh, stepped on the accelerator in terms of uh, bringing us into you know, uh, Cold War II. But both Trump and Biden are, are dangerous you know, well, Trump, uh, for this reason. Tr Trump goes back and forth he, 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 uh, in a sort of amateurish fashion. When he needs to suck up to China, he'll spend two weeks saying nice things about Xi. And, that, you know, and Biden doesn't do that. Uh, but no, I, 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 it doesn't true. detract from your general point. It's just they have different styles. Yeah, but Trump's, um, Trump's base is now very anti-China. He helped make it that way. Well, um, you can be anti-China and and still want to uh, stop AI from destroying the world and recognize that's a higher Well, of need, course, right? but my point is you can't do, make meaningful progress on that goal uh, if you if you continue to have bad relations yeah. with China. And well, I mean, I, I just, I don't think people appreciate how bad it is. The Economist also ran a largely good piece about how bad relations are getting and doing a good job of, of, of presenting things from China's point of view. It didn't allocate any more blame to the, uh, to the U.S. Than, than to China. But, you know, I mean, like, this chip war is like, you know, New York Times ran a piece this week, like, oh, China not responding to overtures to restart the conversation. Well, duh, we have declared economic warfare Why? On from their Why is the test of fairness whether it allocates blame evenly? Maybe one party is more to the blame than the other. Well, I think the common failing of uh, Western and certainly U.S. media is to give short shrift to the blame that is due to the U.S. government in these things. And my own view is that the blame is about equal in this case. Uh, and, and to read, you know, say the New York Times, you'd think uh, that, no, it's always, the U.S. is never at fault. Uh, the U.S. played no role in the deterioration of relations with Russia over the last quarter century and so on. Well, uh, well I think you're right that the conventional wisdom, another example of the conventional wisdom congealing is now we need international regulation of AI is dangerous. The uh, the main villain in this seems to be Larry Page of Google, who Elon Musk said wants to be God and and has not signed on to this international, uh, you know, push for international. Wait, controls. the CEO the, of Google just endorsed an international, not, just said we're going to need international treaties oh, of Google. I mean, OpenAI okay. is the bigger player here. Yeah. Okay. Not, but not, Larry not Page Google. is a Google and he hasn't signed on, so. Well, we'll has he signed that. off? Has he said we can't have international regulation? Good point. Uh, must well, I think I think there was something to that, but um, I'm not sure. Anyway, forget that. It's the, everybody wants it. The, the 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 question is, will it be enough? Can you do it? And that very good Financial Times article you cited suggested that one model would be the protocol for uh, gain of function research into viruses, and that's not really confidence inspiring, you know. At the moment. No, I, that, that was the weird thing that I think was flat out wrong in that piece. He said gain of function research is, is subject to tight international regulation. It's not. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, maybe I maybe I'm completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure that 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 was flat out wrong. I mean, maybe he's not he's a biologist. The controls we an, want to have AI, gain of function research. This guy is a, is a tech investor with a history of AI research. No, no. He said I read it two, okay. two or three times. Okay. He just—he just, I think, got it wrong. Uh, no, gain of function is not an inspiring precedent. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, and plus, you know, if 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 somebody in their garage can start to, you know, figure out how to produce a biovirus, I it just seems futile almost. But you have to try. Well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. There are definitely things. Again, it has to be an international agreement, and that's. That's the other reason. Look, even before AI burst on the scene a few months ago in a new way, I was saying, you know, Biden didn't have his eye on the ball. He's getting us into a new Cold War when what we need is the exact opposite. We've got problems that are, if not truly, literally existential for the planet. They're, they're close to that. And the big one that, that gets not enough attention is the biotech. And you'd think after Wuhan, they'd get the picture. 
Whether or not that was a genetically engineered virus in a lab, it could have been, and it could have come from a lot of labs. You know, and, there's a new there's a new Wuhan lab leak theory that's also a middle of the road sort of third third way theory. What this, is it? This Chinese uh, official said that uh, the virus could have leaped directly from the bats to humans. So you didn't need an animal intermediary, which would explain why we can't find one if it can jump directly. So they had a bunch of bats in Wuhan and they infected the lab workers and the lab workers went and spread it around. That's sort of a lab leak, but it's not like uh, they were modifying it to, uh, you know, to, to in gain a function research and they dropped the test tube and it, infect, it, it leaked out of the lab. So it's slightly less inculpatory. But it, yeah. if, it's, if it's really true, you can make the leap directly. That would be an interesting new wrinkle. Yeah, the um, you know, there was a, a deep dive in the Washington Post that I think we summarized in uh, the previous Friday's non-zero newsletter. In any event, they they went into the whole infrastructure of like tracking down viruses to study them, and they put a lot of emphasis on the dangers posed by in this relatively straightforward way of just researchers getting infected by naturally occurring viruses. Uh, the, you know, the the whole system is is kind of woefully underregulated. Um, it, so yeah. it would point to the Wuhan lab because the bats in question don't exist around Wuhan. They were brought to the Wuhan lab. Right. So that would uh, be the that would be the case for incompetence at least. Um, so um, what else is going on in the world? Uh, no, I had, I had anyway. Um, Oh, why, why don't we, uh, you know, you, you know, the movie 12 Monkeys by uh, it's book directed by one of the Monty Python people. It, it's about this. OK, I think we should watch it. it. Is it? I think I've it might be early it. prescient. It's about bi biohazards. It's about a guy who has 12 vials of biohazards and he's on a plane. He's flying around the world, like dropping them in major cities. Okay, that's not sure. Not basic. sure I can sell my wife. Not sure I can sell my wife on this one. We can we can discuss this in the parent room. You also had a good TV series. Not I think it has Brad Pitt watch. in it. Does your wife go for Brad Pitt? I like to think not. Yeah. In any event, I wouldn't want to observe that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to observe her falling for Brad Pitt. Well, he maybe she can watch it alone and discuss it with you. What? He definitely he definitely overacts. Okay, we'll talk about it in the parent room. Um, uh. So, um, let's see, uh, there's a little, uh, oh, oh, look, it's time I paid a rare compliment to Elon Musk, after which I will give him a, uh, much more, something I more commonly give him an insult. But I had said several times, I think, I predict that Elon Musk will not have the courage, was the term I used, to take the blue checks away from all of these elites whom Twitter depends on for, you know, attracting the masses. And he seems to have taken them away, right? Isn't it great? Now we know what social equality looks like, Bob. I know. It's the lords and peasants system has been overthrown by a billionaire. Com Communism is great. I love However, it. it has a downside, and that is that uh, this particular revolutionary um, is still doing this petty shit with Substack links, so far as I can tell. I mean, he's not... You can put them in your tweet, but they will not summon, you know, the social media image that automatically comes up, uh, you know, with like the Washington right. Post, New York Times, whatever. You right. put in the link for the piece, you get a picture, a headline. You don't get that for Substack. You just get a little dinky ass tweet with a URL in it. And huh. uh, that's so fucking petty. It is petty. On the other hand, if you and I'm definitely for Substack in this war. But if two things, if you go to Substack notes, which I did, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'll do anything for this podcast, Bob. Uh, okay. I it is directly atta an attack on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's, aimed it's at pretty Twitter. different. It's pretty different from Twitter. I'm sure they wouldn't mind if it became the new Twitter. I don't think it's not. It, it is not a Twitter clone in terms of the way it, it works. Okay. It looks like it, it. Mastodon. Mastodon is closer to being a Twitter clone than the okay. way it works. It, it, the other thing is, it's boring. It's every. It's like Matt Iglesias giving you his third rate thoughts, his third tier thought, not their third rate. But giving his like least exciting thoughts to Substack notes, his most exciting thoughts go into his 
newsletter, his second most exciting going to his Twitter. Uh, it's just not, you know, people are on their best behavior. That's terrible. I don't want people to be on their best behavior. I want them to be assholes and go at each other. Well, Twitter's a place for you for if you want assholes. <laughs> um, the, uh, I, wanna, I but, want them to reveal say, their true natures. Let's put it that way. I will say, because, because Substack Notes is not a Twitter clone, l- learning how to navigate it to get what you want is, 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 it takes some time. And I'm not sure I'm even there yet, but I do, I, I'm starting to kind of get into it. Um, in any event, I mean, Twitter seems so dead that I get as much action r- just about on Substack Notes, even though it has a much smaller population of people there. And uh, so I don't, does Twitter seem dead to you? No, probably not, because you're, you know, people in your ideological ecosystem are still on Twitter. In fact, they're going to pay for the blue checks, right? So everybody with a blue check is going to like agree with you checks. on everything. They're, they're, and there's, I, 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 Twitter does not seem dead to me. It seems basically the same as ever. And I've just recently gotten attention from various big shots uh, that, you know, that it is hardening. It shows I'm still read by the 300 people I want to be read by. So I think Twitter is still very much alive. Well, for people of your ideological persuasion, I think. And I, and I yeah. think. I mean, Maggie Haberman you lost than- her blue check. She's still there. She hasn't gone away. That's my test. Um, so who are, who are the big shots you got attention from? Oh, Josh Marshall attacked me this morning. Oh my God. That's a big shot. Josh uh, Marshall in, in my world, Bob, we're grasping at straws. I mean, he, he does, he does have a big following, but come on, you can do better than that. I, I attacked Mark Halperin and, and, uh, and he, he was last in his newsletter seen in utter, he was last seen in utter disgrace. He's having a resurgence, Bob. You got to do better than this. You got to okay. do better. Okay. You've got a third the, chance. You got a third Pope, chance. The Pope, the Pope retweeted. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. Do you have a nice coat on? Uh, um, it might've been a deep fake. You never, you never know, know. Right. A lot guy of that shit going on. Yeah. A lot of that shit going on. Do you hear about this Drake song? But what? Fake Drake. Fake Drake. I heard about the fake Drake. Yes. Um, Controversial. Raises uh, all kinds of intellectual property issues. Uh, I agree. Um, it uh, it does. The Republicans unveiled their budget plan, not their budget plan, but their demands for the debt ceiling increase. First, mm-hmm. I agree. Nobody should hold the debt ceiling co- uh, hostage. It's been used by both parties over the years, lately by the Republicans. Uh, it's irresponsible. If you have a budget, if you have things you want to do, you should just do propose them and try to win elections. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the situation we're in is the situation we're in. And, you know, you could also evaluate the Republican plans for are they good? And, you know, it, it would be very easy to come up with a, with a, if the Republicans focused on one thing and said, you got to do this one thing, you have to defund your parole program or something. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, that's the program that Biden is stretching to let in millions of, of illegals. Uh, that mm-hmm. would make sense. That would be a good issue. It would be, be, be laser honed. Uh, Biden plus, could conceivably plus defund the parole has a nice, that has a nice ring to it. Defund the parole. Let's go. Biden could conceivably cave into that. It said they have a whole laundry list of 20 Republican proposals. The part of it is work requirements on food stamps and Medicaid. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what I think about that. I mean, I know what I think about food stamps, uh, uh, work, requirements on Medicaid, which is it's a, a terrible idea. Even Robert Rector, who's the hardest ass welfare reformer around, thinks it's a terrible idea because if people don't work, we're not going to deny a Medicare medical care. Okay. Right. We're going to take them into the emergency rule. So we're not really saving any money. Right. Uh, so it's a, it's a stupid demand. Food stamps is a little different. Uh, food stamps is like cash. I think all cash benefits you should have to work for them. And if you don't work, the government, if, if there's no jobs in the economy, the government should provide a last resort job like the WPA. We don't have that program, though. And in the recession, there were so few jobs around that I was kind of happy food stamps were there as a last resort for people who couldn't find a job and were hard up. Uh, so I think the solution for food stamps should be in good times, there should be a work test. In, in bad times, like a recession, you should be able to get food stamp without a work test. Uh, so that's my position. 
I'm sure you're happy you're to very, know my position. You're a very tender-hearted guy. I am, yeah. Uh, to be reminded uh, I thought it was, that was tender-hearted guy you are. It's compassionate conservatism, and, and that's that's what we turn to you for. Um, I, I am also in favor of not letting people die. Um, so the uh, first, I, before I talk about Ukraine, I want to say there's a story that I'm I'm kind of surprised you haven't brought up involving uh, Tony Blinken. But let me talk about Ukraine. Maybe it'll occur to you. Okay, I, I have one more. I have one more like sort of. Uh, Non-paradigm for, domestic policy you, thing. Before we get to Bakhmut, yeah. Uh, okay. I I think I think people are wild are overstate overestimating uh, how bad the economy is and whether we'll have a recession or not. I don't think we'll have a recession. Sixty nine percent of the people think the economy is bad. I think that's way high. I don't know what people are smoking, but I I predict uh, the economy will turn out much better than that, those sixty nine percent think. And I guess that's good for Biden, but uh, I, I just I, I know your confidence. I, I, I believe your... in anecdotal evidence. I, I look around, not just in the rich areas of town. I do not see signs of an imminent recession. Yeah, um, I'm not saying people will get well, richer. I'm saying there's not going to be a recession. So where do you look and not see signs of a recession other than the rich parts of town? You've been in Compton lately, shopping malls. Shopping malls. I was hoping you wouldn't wow. ask me that one, Bob. Um, I haven't like, been to uh, the, the, I, the mall, uh, like on Rodeo Drive, or where? Where are the malls? Yeah, it's a few. It's malls? a few blocks over, Bob. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but I've been so, to Redondo Beach. I've been to Torrance, yep. former white working yep. class area. Yep. Restaurants are hopping in Torrance. So uh, let me, a little quick Ukraine update. First of all, uh, our weekly Bakhmut update. Um, even the Institute for the Study of War, neocon propaganda outlet that is uh, a source of information for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post, which is not known for exaggerating Russian progress on the battlefield says that Bakhmut is now like 88% of Bakhmut is under Russian control. So I guess, you know, it's slowly, uh, I guess, any day now. Um, I kind of I kind of think the uh, Ukraine's goal might be, um, you know, I had a couple of thoughts on this. I thought maybe, you know, I've been attributing kind of cynical public relation mo- motives to Ukraine for sticking with Bakhmut. Uh, so, so far beyond the point where many people thought it was a good idea. Um, it could also be they don't want to give uh, the Wagner group the, uh, you know, the commendation medal that they will get uh, for taking Bakhmut because they may worry, and this would make sense. They may think, look, by and large, the Russian military is still enough of a Soviet relic that it just isn't working very well. But Wagner is lean and mean, and the more resources that go to Prigozhin, the guy who runs it, the more trouble we're in. Um, and by, by the way, Russia this week said that uh, people in Wagner will now be treated, get full veteran benefits, which wasn't the case before. Yeah. Um, so that would kind of make sense. Anyway, they're, they're having trouble holding on to Bakhmut. And I would think back to public relations, one thing they might hope for is that they could hang on in Bakhmut long enough so that the loss of it is obscured by news about the Ukrainian offensive. But it's starting to look like they probably can't hang on that long unless that's going to start like um, next week. Th- there was this Wagner-related story that I th- may have said to you, I may not have, which is so it was reported in the Daily Mail that the Wagner head, you just said his name, the, sh- the former chef. Uh, uh, and said former that- criminal. Did you Did you know that he spent 10 years in prison? No, as as just a street criminal, not not huh. like white collar crime. But anyway, go ahead. Um, that that he had said basically that Putin should declare victory and stop the war. Uh, and then Russia's with attitude said that that had been mistranslated that he hadn't actually said mm. that. Mm-hmm. I would think I if would he had said him. that, it would be huge news. So the Daily Mail must have uh, gotten it wrong, but. You no, know, ISW would be spinning it as something approaching surrender. Yes. Uh, but I would trust Russians with attitude on that. Um, the uh, so 
the speaking of the offensive, um, you know, I guess uh, people are saying it could, uh, in principle, start next week. I guess more likely sometime in May, early June. Um, I continue to worry that they're going to commit a lot of resources to it because I just don't see any likely uh, way that that uh, launching a very serious offensive winds up being good for Ukraine. Um, you know, I, I, I worry that they could, as I've said, lose so many soldiers and, and other resources as to make themselves vulnerable along um, other lines. Well, what would happen the, if they didn't launch an offensive? Then we just have a stalemate and. Yeah, I we think could. stalemate is the fastest way to peace, which is what I would like to see. There is no way, unless there's uh, something we don't know about, uh, that that they're going to get Russia entirely out of Ukraine, let alone, I mean, even the non-Crimean part of Ukraine. It's just not going to happen. But if they and, don't do a counteroffensive, Russia's going to keep attacking. So that's a recipe for losing, isn't it? No, no, I think the opposite. I, I think... They have now assembled for the offensive, I don't know, maybe 30, 40,000 fresh troops, pretty well equipped. That, you, you may have noticed that they haven't been doing, I mean, they've been holding Russia largely at bay, but the ground that's been lost has by and large been lost by Ukraine. And, you know, again, in the long run, Russia has more manpower. Um, you know, I, was, I, I checked in, as I do every so often with Douglas McGregor, who's been uh, predicting overwhelming Russian success forever, but who, you know, is a very knowledgeable, smart guy. So I still kind of take him somewhat seriously. His latest prediction is a big offensive uh, by Russia in June. One thing he says is they are continuing to build up their forces. I believe that, you know, people say, well, they haven't started a second mobilization, but the, but the mobilization is kind of ongoing. They, they've been running very slick recruiting ads on TV in Russia. They're working hard. They did this thing that I just mentioned of extending the people who are eligible for veterans benefits. I do think they're assembling uh, more troops and they have more they can throw into battle and maybe many, many more, uh, which means that Ukraine might be wise to keep some troops in reserve to play uh, defense. The troops that have been playing defense are pretty exhausted and chewed up. And so, eh, okay, go ahead. No, so we gave them these Abrams tanks and it takes 10 weeks to train their people on them. Well, so they're going to miss the offensive entirely. Well, actually, I mean, uh, uh, among the news this week was we are starting to train them on these Abrams tanks. Uh, Originally, we were saying Abrams tanks wouldn't be ready till the end of the year. Uh, now they're saying they could be trained by September. And the account I read said, which could mean that the offensive could still be ongoing. Well, again, I think it's bad news if you start an offensive in May and you're still fighting it in September. Uh, and, you know, I, I, there's one other thing I want to say. The, the conventional wisdom is we've seen the Russian offensive. You know, the idea uh, advanced, especially by Michael Kaufman, who is very smart and credible, is that when Putin switched military commanders, it was because he wanted his offensive now. And the guy he had had in charge uh, wanted to do rope-a-dope, as you called it, let Ukraine do their offensive. Uh, Kaufman thought that was actually a better plan. And it was stupid of Russia to, to, to do their offensive first. But Again, according to McGregor, you know, no, the big offensive is yet to come. We don't know. And the 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 idea of throwing, you know, Ukraine's fresh, good, well, they're not especially well-trained or, 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 or experienced, but they are fresh. Um, they're fresh troops and equipment, you know, on a large scale into this big offensive. The idea implicitly is that they don't have to worry about some coming big Russian counteroffensive that that is driven by you know fresh troops right. and i just wouldn't assume that i just wouldn't assume that uh what I, I would yeah isn't isn't the obvious thing that's going to happen is they're going to want the text earlier and the solution is going to be to secretly insert some american troops in each tank to show them how to do it 
so that we will get more involved in the war. Oh, I don't think I don't think we're going to put Americans in Ukrainian tanks in Ukraine in battle. Yes. No way. No, no. way Biden would do that. I mean, he, he has one thing he has Delta tried Force. to avoid is. You know, I, I mean, there you know, there was this one thing that came out of those documents is we have, I don't know, 100 people in in Ukraine troops. But uh, the the argument, you know, from the defenders of this, which sounds plausible is that they're basically there uh, to evacuate embassy personnel and other, you know, American civilian personnel, if necessary. So you'd, you'd have to have that many of them there. Uh, they're, they're, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't see anything like that. Um, but, you know, and, and again, I, I just, if we're going to be sending in 31 Ab Abrams tanks, it should be part of an overall strategy of bringing this war to an end, uh, in my view. Let me say the one way I think the offensive could work is if there's in some sense a secret weapon. I don't mean necessarily a weapon we don't know about, but either, you know, qualitatively or quantitatively weaponry that Russian Russia doesn't know is those. So, for example, they got the 50 mile range high Mars and now they've authorized sending the 100 mile and I, maybe some of those are there. But the official line is not the 150-mile uh, missiles. Yeah. And it could be that, um, although they, you know, nominally we're not, we're not sending those, could be that the CIA is secretly, you know, filling their stocks with them. Similarly, although everybody knows there are these satellite-guided artillery shells, could be we're going to drop a ton of those on them before the offensive. Uh, I mean, give them to Ukraine. The other thing is, uh, there was this, there's this Israeli made suicide drone that was just spot wreckage of it was just spotted this week for the first time ever that there had been no confirmation it was there. So something, things like that, new qualitatively new kinds of drones. What you about know, a, what about yeah. a distracting rebellion in the Donbass by the pro Ukraine people? They've all left already. You mean uh, insurgent things behind it, Russian yeah, lines? Yeah, just a rear, rear guard guerrilla actions in the Donbass that tie down a bunch of Russian troops. Uh, I'm sure we'd like to do that. Um, I don't know. They they may have tricks up their sleeve. Uh, but um, I guess last thing I'd say is, you know, I had said that the only reason I could see for Zelensky's continuing to plead for fighter jets is maybe he would like to, uh, maybe that could be a way of drawing the U S more deeply into the war. Um, I did hear a very smart, like, uh, expert on all this kind of stuff say that one reason jets would be useful. He doesn't recommend the F 16 or any American jet. He says it's the sweetest jets are best suited all things considered. But, um, what he said was, a big problem that uh, for Ukraine that everyone acknowledges and is reflected in those leaked documents is that they are running low on anti-aircraft stuff. And the anti-aircraft stuff not only fends off the, the missiles and drones, right now it's keeping the Russian Air Force at bay. So the Russian Air Force has not, not, not tried to venture much into, you know, over, over the battle line. And what he said was, once you're running low on anti-aircraft stuff, having a dozen or so of these jets could uh, give enough trouble to any uh, to any Russian jets entering that that would that that would basically solve that problem. Um, which you shoot a few down, jet, and that would be it. Which jets does he want? I, I I missed that part. There's some Swedish jet. I mean, it turns out to be amazing how finicky some of the equipment we build is. He says these F-16 jets require immaculately maintained runways because of the way they draw stuff into their system, apparently, upon takeoff. As I understand it, they just, like, if there's any little debris anywhere around, huh. uh, you know, so they're great for places where there's no actual war going on. You know, they're right. great for air shows. Uh, he also said they have they have somewhat fragile landing gear. But he said these Swedish jets are kind of ideal and and uh you know of course that gets that's tied up with sweden sweden and nato issue and so on um, um 
So that that was the alarm. That was our uh, okay. Well, forty-six minute warning or something. Well, I have all sorts of stuff for the paradroom. I think. Uh, okay. All I have. There's always AI. There's BuzzFeed's uh, dissolution. Um, there's oh, you didn't guess the. I'm surprised you didn't bring this up. I mean, let's just get this out here. Uh, you know, remember when the Hunter uh, Biden laptop story was broken by the New York Post and 50 deep state national security experts magically assembled right. to sign a letter saying this had all the earmarks of Russian propaganda? Did you right. see they the story that came out? They didn't actually say it was Russian propaganda. They went as far as they could without saying it. No, it said and all the, I think, hallmarks was the word. Right. But you, well, did you see the story this week in the post about how yeah, that letter? So Blinken was involved. I, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't involved. It was, yeah, an ex. It was a, it was a potential. It had all the hallmarks of an orchestrated campaign, as we. It was say obvious the, to everybody that it was an election potential election killer for Biden. He had to stop it one way or the other. So he he threw together this group of uh, deep state experts who pissed mm -hmm. on it, and it was a transparent piece of bullshit. And the media fell for it. It's the media's fault, not Blinken's fault. Blinken, he's a he's a political actor. He's got this was a this was like an existential threat. He had to act against it. I mean, I, I don't I don't see why his at his being involved makes it better or worse. It was it was a complete piece of shit from beginning to end. That was an admirable deployment of cognitive empathy, Mickey. You put yourself in Tony Blinken's shoes and you said, Who among us would not? No, it's like deep state. It's like George Stephanopoulos discrediting Je Jennifer Flowers, okay, in the primary. He had to do it. He knew it was bullshit. That yeah. was his job. His job was to win the election. You know what's less less defensible are, are, are the journalists who went along with that. Oh, yeah. And one of them was, I got to say, I think it was Howard Feynman. Is that the guy's name in Newsweek? You, you know him. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. I didn't know. I'm he, pretty he, sure I remember him saying, Oh, it's always a lounge singer. You know, Jennifer Flowers was a lounge singer, right? Oh, with the Flowers thing? Oh, I'm yeah. not so sure. Some of my best friends f pissed on Jennifer Flowers. Uh, so, I think um, his... Clinton had assiduously courted the press. He had done a good job of, 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 of wooing the press, and he got a lot of defenders. If I'm wrong, I apologize uh, to Howard Feynman and, and journalists everywhere. I don't think uh, I am. So, um, Anyway, there, there, there's uh, there's some hunter hunter detritus this week. Um, there, I have an AI point. I had a, I had a um, I had a, a a a revelation. What was to me was a revelation about AI that uh, you may not think is a revelation. Uh, I have uh, you see if they're all my topics, you're going to be bored by them. I, I have. Uh, how would how does this the new there's a new Republican coalition forming? Does it have any hope of appealing to college educated people? That's the question. And I don't know what the answer is, but I have some ideas. There's a uh, Fetterman. You really think Fetterman's out of the woods? Huh? Tell me about it. Um, I saw I saw the videotape of uh, his chairing some meeting. Okay, you he can tell us it. what you thought of it. He got through it. What? He, he got, got through it? it? Yeah. It had the quality of doneness after he he, he it was, was confidence it. inspiring? Yeah, I, I signed up. I went to a website. It wasn't painful and, to watch. Uh well, no, I was no, I felt no act no pain. What do you mean? Physical pain? No. None. No, well you think oh he's about to fuck up, he's about to fuck up, he's about to fuck up. This is awful. I'm on tenor hooks. But he and got he, through he, it. Even, even if he doesn't fuck up, it's still Anxiety producing. I I applaud his courage. Okay. Well, even though you've given away the game, I have still have something else to say about that. Um. Uh. There's a huge immigration crisis brewing, Bob. In case you didn't know. Uh. Uh. I didn't know. And uh. Uh. A bunch of a bunch of stuff about DeSantis and abortion. We haven't talked about abortion yet. Uh, that's true. Um, and you can tell me what movie to watch. 
Yeah, I watched the movie. I watched the movie, and I can I can uh, talk to you about it. Okay. Uh, the great Soviet director, what's his name, Tarkovsky. Um, I and uh, so uh, let me write. Famous for his uh, slow paced movies, as you know, I long for a slow paced movie. They're they're yeah yeah they are. Uh, that has virtues. That has virtues though. Because when you get to the end and you don't understand it you, and you want to fast forward through it, it doesn't take long. You just cut out the parts where nobody's talking. Um, <laughs> it's about 10 minutes. That's how I feel about the movie Grand Prix, which I remembered as a terrible movie. And I, I bought the, the disc re and I, I put it in and it was this incredibly slow-paced, beautiful movie mm -hmm. like with the loving shots of engines, polished engines going off and of Francois Hardy, the most beautiful woman ever, and and then I realized, no, that was the the extra B roll disc that I'd put in. It wasn't the actual movie; it was like the extra shots. And when I put in the actual movie, it was just as awful as I remembered it. So uh, that's too bad. Tarkovsky's like the B roll. Okay, I believe it. Uh, um, and we can talk about. Uh, I don't know. I I I want to talk more about. A little more about AI, maybe, and uh, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Um. So fireworks. There, okay. <laughs> there will be enough. There will be enough. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. So Mickey's bringing the pair. How on. can you that be more excited? Gets people to come. And folks, if you want more of that, actually, maybe that's not the best way to get them to Patreon. room. <laughs> folks, if you don't want more of that. Come to patreon.com slash parrot room because most of our conversation does not is not a talking bird. Um, but uh we will see people there and uh and I will see you there, Mickey. Almost immediately. Okay.